Hello, I'm Andrew Skipper. This is The A Perspective, a series of podcasts looking at investment in Africa and the impact of COVID-19 on the continent. I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors, people who are deeply committed to building the continent. They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting enormous opportunities. Today, we turn to a well-known commentator on Africa, Ted George. Ted is an economist who was head of research at Echobank and then head of its London office. He's founder, head and self-styled chief narrative officer of Clios Advisory. Clios offers thought leadership and strategic advisory services on African markets, commodity, value chains and disruptive technology. Ted himself has a diverse range of specialities, including African markets, disruptive technology, soft commodities, agribusiness, trade and trade finance. He's also a good friend and a perfect person to talk through some of the big five innovations he sees as can help bring about the new paradigm the African Union has boldly trumpeted as being essential for Africa post-COVID. Ted, before we move on to the top five innovations you talked about, you've had a pretty extraordinary uh, lockdown in COVID, and you've actually rather boldly um, set up a new um, a new advisory service called Cleos Advisory. Tell us a little bit about your time on lockdown and a bit more about Cleos Advisory before we move on to the next question. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Uh, yes, I set up my company back in October, so you could say mm. that my second quarter was uh, very challenging. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yeah, because, I mean, a lot of my business just went up in smoke around February mm. I do mm. conferences, obviously, you know, face-to-face conferences, a lot of research in the field, you can't travel. And let's face yeah. it, as Brits, they wouldn't let me in the country anyway. Um, also, as you might know as well, with a consultant, you know, at a time of crisis, if you call up and say, hi, I'm a consultant, they're like, we don't know if we're going to be in business in a month's time. We're not yeah. hiring consultants. But I think the thing I realized uh, during the lockdown is that the real advantage that I have and anyone has when you set up your own company and you're very small at first is it cost me almost nothing to flip my model. And so I really spent a lot of the time during lockdown working out what can I actually offer as a service which makes sense. Um, I've gone digital. You know, Instead of conferences, I'm doing webinars and podcasts such as today. Yeah. Uh, but I've also de- uh, developed some new services. I'm working on one with uh, Africa Integrity, run by Julian Fisher, an, an old mate of mine, which is looking at uh, supply chain integrity. In other words, how can you actually say that the things coming along your supply chain really do meet the ethical standards that you want, and the standards of uh, you know uh, no conflict of interest, uh, environmental protections, gender. Uh, balance, etc. So that's actually been useful. Um, I also worked on the website for my company, uh, www.cleosadvisory.uk, if you want to see what I'm up to. Um, and in fact, I also worked on my late father's manuscript, uh, which is uh, about the building of the Crucible Theatre, which I hope to publish next year. Right. So I think, you know, I certainly tried to use it. It was a bit monastic. And of course, I had to do a bit of uh, homeschooling as well for my twin girls. <laughs> but I think I think I've noticed is since July, the conversations have changed with clients and potential clients before they didn't even know if they're going to survive. Now, everyone's saying we need some new ideas. And I'm pleased to say business has really picked up and I'm involved in a number of projects where it's really about new ideas. How do we move forward now? We've survived this bit. The world has changed, but uh, we really need to think about how we can be developing new business so that we can grow. That's fantastic. And I think it's the, the new ideas I now want to talk about as we move on to the top five innovations. So I want to ask you what these top five are in certain sectors, what's special about them, what they're going to bring, and what needs to happen to make them happen. So I thought start with something I know that you're particularly familiar with in fintech. And it's obviously a, a key area of development. We've all talked about BitPaser and blockchain and the like. But what, what do you think is the next big game changer here? 
Well, I think when it comes to fintech, the real game changer is what's been happening on the ground. If you look in Africa, this year we have passed the statistical tipping point when over 50% of the population will not only have a smartphone, but they will have 3G connection. That wasn't the case up before COVID, but it's accelerating. Option. And the moment you have that ability to connect uh, someone to uh, the internet, you can connect them to any digital service. And so if you build fintech as your first uh, line of defense, if you like, or as the, as the bottom of your structure, you can then put any service you like on top of that, whether it's e-commerce or edtech, mHealth. I mean, there are so many things you can do. The moment you have an ability to connect to a person's device and you have a means of paying for something, even if it's the tiny amount digitally. So for me, that's the most important thing that's happened. We're now talking about the majority of the population in Africa having a smartphone and a 3G connection. So then the question simply becomes, how creative are you? Because yeah. so many of these things you could not deliver before, you can. That's really, and in, in the sort of payment space and things like uh, we, we, we've talked about remittances in the past, is that, is that a big area with which this was going to develop in? Well, certainly, I think there's a real opportunity here for remittances. If you look at the entire remittance business, um, a lot of it has really been very inefficient and almost based on the con. Sometimes the amount of money you have to pay to send money to a market in Africa is outrageous. It's multiples of the actual amount of money that you're trying to send in the first place. And of course, utterly impossible to send $1 or 50 cents. But there are numerous different um, uh, digital platforms out there to try and get around it. One of the most obvious is using some kind of cryptocurrency or token. Yeah. They can be exchanged, of course, at almost zero cost and instantaneously. And there's a number of them out there. But I particularly like ones which are quite clever about, if you like, how they get around this problem of FX. So there is a company in Nigeria. They uh, organize for remittances between Nigeria and the USA, which has one of the largest uh, Nigerian diaspora communities. And essentially what they do is if they have somebody in the USA who's looking to send money to Nigeria and also another person in Nigeria looking to receive it from someone else, essentially you can get the two parties who are on the American side and the two parties on the Nigerian side and net them off. So instead of someone in America sending dollars, changing them into Naira and send to Nigeria, they actually send them to the American. And then the same happens in Nigeria. Someone sends Naira. By doing that, you can effectively cut out all of the costs for uh, foreign exchange. You're just basically pooling debts and canceling them out on either side of the, the transaction. But it can be instantaneous. Um, and that's huge because the FX cost is enormous. And of course, it's something that can be done instantaneously and with an app. So stuff yeah, like is very clever. Yeah, and I think we've seen remittances actually increase significantly. I think there was a thought that they might decrease, wasn't there, during during? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and particularly in, in times of desperation as well. Yeah. But the other thing about remittances as well is that, you know, the game is changing. They are getting cheaper and cheaper. Uh, there's more and more efficiency in sending the money. And it's really becoming an FX play. I don't think it'll be long before we see remittances where they are free. I mean, they are just genuinely free. And it's all about what exchange rate are you going to get? And then if you send dollars into Nigeria or Cote d'Ivoire, what game the local company can play to make the most out of that hard currency? Yeah, interesting. And now, I mean, part of this, um, this new paradigm is, is the, the launch, which has been slightly delayed then, of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, of course. And on the trade side, and intra-Africa trade in particular, the, the trade, you, you, talking about trade tech, where do you see the, 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 advance, the advances there? And, in the, in the next year or so? Well, I think in trade tech, we've seen, first of all, a lot of the kind of technology that has existed for years mm. but have resisted has now become common. 
So, for example, electronic signatures, electronic exchange of documentation. Uh, six months ago, there were a number of lawyers and credit officers who just wouldn't have accepted it electronically. Now they do, and they're not going to be going back. So that's been a rapid advance, if you like, catching up to where we should be. Mm. For me, I think what's really interesting is if you talk about trade tech, this idea uh, of technology used in the value chain for trade, what you're talking about is linking together all different technologies. So this is blockchain, this will be mobiles, this will be AI and machine learning. Um, and if I had to like give an example of the most remarkable thing I've seen on this, um, yeah. there's a bleeding edge, uh, bleeding edge project uh, done for a South African mining company at the moment. Um, one of the big problems for mining companies is they will deliver ore to a smelter and they may not get paid for four or six weeks. And that causes problems with cash flow. So the way this works, uh, this technology is by linking together various techs. So a truck would turn up at uh, the smelter, and as it uh, goes through the entrance, it drives onto a weighing scale, and it's weighed. At the same time, its license plate is taken as a picture, and photographs are taken of the vehicle as well, um, and all of that's entered into the system. And then using an algorithm which calculates roughly how much ore is on board, there is a pre-existing smart contract which instantly makes a payment. So by the time the, the truck drives off the weighing scale, the company's been paid. Amazing. It's amazing. That is removing frictions, which is basically what all technology is about, from six weeks to six microseconds. Now, it is a bleeding edge technology. It's not like everyone can use that at the moment. But everyone has a mobile phone now. And a lot of this technology, when it comes to wanting data coming in from cameras or getting some data on the ground, geopositioning, all of that can be delivered by the mobile into a system of IoT. So that's what I really see for trade tech, the potential going forward. It's going to be successfully linking together all these technologies along the value chain. Yeah, and I guess I guess that move, moves us on to to number three in the in the top in the charts of you know the vast majority of people in Africa, frankly, are still fixed in agriculture. Um, and you mentioned GPS and things like that just then. So what what can change? People are talking about getting out of oil and gas and moving into agri. What, how can that be facilitated? What's the big thing you see happening there? Well, I think when it comes to anything with agriculture and you look at Africa, it's all about efficiency. Yields are very low. There's huge wastage, 40% crops are wasted. And typically farmers repeatedly get through. They just don't get properly paid because it's so opaque, the system and fragmented. So tech yes. can uh, deliver that. There's a project I'm currently working on for Fair Trade West Africa. We've just put in a pitch for uh, phase two, uh, which would be working with PCR and Agri Vanguard. And they have uh, this incredible platform called Kaja, which is basically uh, for feeding in all the information around the cocoa value chain. So you'd start with a cooperative. Each farmer would be in there, all the information about them, their dependents, uh, GPS mapping of their farm and all the data on the deliveries when they arrive, the quality of the cocoa and payments and repayments. So if you take all of this and organize that data properly, that means it's very easy to onboard a farmer for e uh, micro insurance or for micro banking. But also, let's say if you want to check the integrity of certified production, you can heat map yields, for example, and you can say, for example, looking at a map, uh, why does this farmer have yields four times higher than everyone around him? He's probably mixing with non-certified beets. You can even automatically track risks such as child labor. Um, if you know these are all the children, you can put it on a map and say, this is where we know all the children are with the different farmers. These are the mm. nearest 
schools. If the nearest school is more than 10 miles away and there's no road, you know that there is a high risk that the child is not getting an education. So there's many things that can be done with the data. The data is incredibly rich in the cocoa value chain, but most of it is in the farmer's heads or the trader's heads yeah. or on But if you can put it into a system like this, that really, for me, is the step forward. You can get a degree of transparency, but also a degree of justice in the value chain. You can actually prove you are paying the right amount of money to the farmer because you have the data to prove it. That's, that's extraordinary. And I think it leads on very well, actually, to the, on the education side, because without, you know, with, with a growing population, the demo- demographics all changing, unless people are properly educated, then they won't be able to get all the new jobs which people say are going to happen. And so, I mean, firstly, in terms of the, how do you see the demographics just developing and how do you see tech helping education now? Yeah, I think tech is going to be essential to overcome this mountain of an issue when it comes to education. Um, Yeah, absolutely. The economy relies on education. We know there are not enough school places. There are many kids who are not getting a decent quality education. And of course, with the curfews and lockdowns imposed by COVID, it has been catastrophic for many kids' education. So the answer is definitely education. Uh, you know, educational technology. And the thing is, it's using old and new different kinds of technology. Uh, If you take, for example, the case of Kenya and Nigeria, they're using unused bandwidth for television for live transmission of lessons, secondary school lessons, you go to channel whatever number it is, it used to be static electricity, and now you get uh, um, lessons being delivered directly to you. If you do have a mobile and, and you can connect to the internet, you can download short lessons, uh, you know, you can download the curriculum, you can download it in local languages. And if you're the only person who has the, inter- uh, the connection to 3G or let's say to the Wi-Fi, once you have it on your device, you could then transfer it to other people via Bluetooth. So the means of dissemination as well can yeah. be old and new in order to get it out. Um, there's also actually a, a, a British company called Bluepoint, um, partly... Uh, Um, developed by the University of Southampton, they have curated intranet. So if you imagine a school, a university, a public library, you, when you got into the range of that, you would connect for free and they would have curated contract content up to many terabytes of information, thousands of millions of books, videos, etc. The moment you can connect to that, you can get that level of education. And certainly I've seen pictures of, you know, you'll see the school, it's a Sunday, it's shut, and then all the kids are around the gates of the school because they're connected and they're getting everything that they need. So that's definitely going to be one of the key ways to really address this issue of education. And it's time to be creative. We can do ways which are interactive, local languages, which are funny, and you can track all the metrics so easily. You can gamify it. All those things we've been working on for games now, we can use for education. And do you see the political will across Africa to deliver on this now? Well, yes, because I think it's been recognized when, you know, when you have a predominantly young population, it's extraordinarily young, the population of Africa, the demands are coming. They know it is. This is something which is relatively easy to do. Uh, It really is a question, actually, of uh, the leadership in these countries simply not standing in the way. The most important thing they need to do is uh, be open to innovation and do everything they can to improve bandwidth, reduce the cost of data, get more people connected. Because the entrepreneurs out there and the educational institutions, they're already digital. They're ready to develop and deliver the content. Yeah. And of course, the final, I mean, finally, number five on my my list really is where we are at the moment with COVID and health. 
How have you seen M Health being developed in in the last few months? With has, has it been better? Has it been stalled? I mean, what are the biggest areas for the next leap in terms of Africa? Well, I think the thing about M Health is the ability to deliver trust digitally, mm. digital trust in health. So, if you just take the simple point of drugs. Any drugs or medicines that you buy. There are a number of apps now in West Africa that all you do is you scan with your phone the barcode on the back and it immediately tells you this drug was produced in this place and went through this value chain. And straight away you'll know if there's a problem. You know, if it's actually supposedly sold somewhere in Kazakhstan and you're in the middle of Mali, you know that something, you know, went wrong in terms of fraud. So that's very important. Um, and in fact, there's a, a couple of companies in Kenya which are delivering blockchain solutions for all protective equipment coming in as well. So when a piece of comes in, you can say exactly where it came from and the cost. Um, so that's one area. But I think another one which is interesting is this idea of remote consultation. There is a huge shortage of trained doctors and nurses. But if you have the right kind of app on your phone with a minimal amount of training, you can do a remote consultation. So take the case of Peak in Kenya. They have an app which uh, basically uh, you do a scan of your eye with a camera on your phone and it'll tell you if you have glaucoma or a series of other problems with your eye. Uh, that's all done by an algorithm. It immediately tells you the likelihood. So something like that can be the difference. It might come back and say, there's nothing wrong. You don't need to make the 50-mile journey to hospital, which in itself will help not spread COVID. But there are a number of devices like that. The idea being, we get the data from you on the ground, and then we can remotely do the consultation, and sometimes instantly, via use of an AI. That is going to be very, very powerful, and that is growing at the moment. Yeah, and it's a classic situation. I mean, when I mentioned leap, it, the people talk a, a lot about Africa being able to leap. This is one area where, frankly, that should be the case, shouldn't it? Sure. And also, I mean, look, it, it, they can also sort of turn certain paradigms on their head because if you imagine the Let's say if you uh, in Africa, there are a lot of people in need of prosthetics. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of wars, people who've lost limbs from landmines. Normally to get a prosthesis, it, it could be up to $20,000 and up to six months if you want to get one in Africa. But now with 3D printers, they have a 3D printer using um, uh, recycled materials, which for less than $100 and in less than a week will give you a prosthetic. And they're getting better and better the designs the whole time. So the point is that is a model that can work brilliantly and the thing is all you need to have is a, a very simple 3d printer and an internet connection and you can be 3d printing prosthetic limbs in the most remote areas in the world that's amazing i think uh, i mean that's great from my point but fi give finally give me your you know what, what what are you looking forward to most in the next year whether it's post-covid or what where do you see the biggest change happening in the next year in africa well in africa i'm just really interested to see how the economy starts to change in people's attitudes change because everyone's used to digital. It's this whole thing about no going back. Uh, many people will want to return to work and go back to the office, but the genie's out of the bottle when it comes to remote working. And even though it's different in Africa, uh, there are very there are much less people who traditionally work in, off uh, in offices. So many people have switched to, let's say, doing business uh, via an app or via WhatsApp or something like that. I can't see them going back. So uh, I look at Africa and I imagine maybe, let's say, you know, the UK in the early noughties when we were really first, uh, suddenly everyone had a mobile phone, most people had email, and there's this shift going where it, it, the expectation is different about how you do your business. So I'm just really interested to see what kind of changes that have been forced on people become permanent. And I think certainly the use of digital payments and an acceptance that digital means are okay. Not that I don't want to do this, I don't see why I should. I think 
really going to change in terms of the potential for the economic rebound. That's fantastic. A great narration and a great narrative from the Chief Narrative Officer of Clios Advisory, Ted George. Ted, thanks very much for your time. That was great fun. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Andrew.